Welcome to Lindsay Live. Thanks for joining us today for a discussion on social emotional learning habits. Here in Lindsay, our learning facilitators focus on more than just developing learners who are capable of passing a test or graduating high school. We're focused on development of the whole child. This means that our graduate is not just book smart, but a well-rounded lifelong learner who is capable of becoming a contributing member of their community. We want our learners to not only be intellectual, but also empathetic, caring, and involved. We want them to be healthy mentally, physically, and emotionally. Learning facilitators in Lindsay are trained in the development of positive social-emotional learning habits. According to the Collaborative for Academic, Social, and Emotional Learning, or CASEL, this practice focuses on five core competencies. Self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, relationship skills, and responsible decision-making. These competencies are integrated into all areas of the Lindsay curriculum, not just briefly taught on the side. We want our learners to understand that no matter what they're working on, these habits will help them to succeed not just as scholars, but as human beings. These strategies help learners understand and deal with their emotions. Positive social-emotional learning habits build an awareness of what is happening in the learner's brain when they experience these emotions and provide them with strategies to manage them. It also inspires empathy in the learner, equipping them to understand the emotions and desires of their fellow learners and interact with them in a caring and compassionate fashion. As the learners advance, they learn how to integrate concepts like compassion and empathy into their lives and utilize them as factors in making responsible decisions. In just a moment, we'll discuss these ideas with a panel of experts from the staff here in Lindsay. They will help us gain a greater understanding of what these strategies actually look like and how they're making a difference in the lives of our learners. Joining us is Sarah Diaz, a fifth grade learning facilitator at the Roosevelt Learning Community. Sarah understands the importance of implementing social-emotional learning habits into her learning environment, and her success is a shining example of the impact SEL has on her learners' overall well-being as well as their academic achievement. Robert Smee is a district psychologist who integrates social-emotional learning into every part of his day. From developing individual education plans to meet the specific needs of learners, to responding to behavioral crises, to working on social skill building for learners on the autistic spectrum, Keeping SEL present in all situations helps him establish equitable learning environments. Melissa Villa is a counselor at the Roosevelt Learning Community. In her role, Melissa supports learners by helping to identify their needs, whether they need organizational techniques in the learning environment, help learning how to interact with peers in social settings, or their family has a need for services. Melissa is there to make sure every learner is supported. They'll be joining me in just a moment to discuss the Lindsay approach to social-emotional learning, right here on Lindsay Live. Welcome to Lindsay Live. I'm here with Sarah Diaz, Melissa Villa, and Robert Smee. We're talking about social-emotional learning. Thank you guys so much for joining me today. Sarah, I want to start with you. You've recently worked with us on a video detailing a couple of strategies that you use to explicitly focus on the mental well-being of your learners. Can you give us a refresher on what those strategies are and have you developed any new ones since we last checked in? Yes, hi. Last year while we were doing distance learning, I used a lot of strategies to help the learners stay engaged and focused in what we were doing in class. And so some of the strategies, techniques that I used were, for example, quotes 
or mantras. They love to build in quotes for the learners so that they can be motivated about each day. So we would have a new quote each day and just something inspiring to help, like I said, motivate them to wanna be in class and, and engage in the work. We did a lot with brain breaks. The learners were in front of their devices for long periods of time. So I thought it was important for them to get up and move. And so we did a lot of brain breaks with movements just to keep their bodies awake, their minds awake. One of the other strategies we were really fond of were grounding exercises. And one of my go-tos for that were five senses, five things you see, four things you hear, three things you smell, two things you can touch, and one thing that you can taste. I also found it important to teach my learners breathing exercises to help them be more mindful. And so, for example, uh, one of the breathing exercises I would teach my learners is four square breathing. So how to take a breath in for a count of four, hold that breath for a count of four, exhale, count of four, and then hold for a count of four. And um, we would do these daily, and these would be at times when I noticed my learners were kind of getting a little bit fidgety or less engaged in what we were doing, just to help bring them back into what we're doing right here, right now. And another thing I really thought was beneficial were Friday shout outs. So I thought it was important to recognize the hard work that my learners did and to honor that. And so we always celebrated Fridays. Fridays are real special because the learners work so hard Monday through Friday that it's so important to recognize and honor that work and celebrate it. So those were some of the things we did in distance learning. Some of the things that we're doing now that we're back in person, of course, we're doing all these great things, but I'm also including teaching my learners this year, yoga. So we're learning movement to breath. It's called movement meditation. And we're also learning Tai Chi, the importance of focusing on a certain point in space with your body moving to breath. Another thing that I'm implementing this year is something that I'm learning in my SEL pathway course, which is how to really be explicit with the behaviors in our code of cooperation. So for example, what behaviors am I looking for in terms of learner to learner, learner to learning facilitator, learning facilitator to learner, and then learner to world. So just being really explicit with the types of behaviors that I'm wanting learners to demonstrate or master. What is the goal of these strategies? Why is social emotional learning worth your valuable in-class learning time? You know, that's a great question. So I'm going to kind of refer to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. We know that as LFs, our goal is to get learners to that independency level. So we call that self-agency or self-efficacy. It's where they can be motivated to start a task independently and motivated to complete that task. That's at the top apex of the Maslow's hierarchy of needs in terms of the triangle. So that's at the very top. There's been a lot of research around, well, what do we do to move learners up that triangle. The bottom parts of that triangle are that learners have psychological, physical, and emotional safety. So it's crucial that we're meeting and teaching the learners these SEL strategies so that we can get them up to this higher level of academic learning. And the only way to do that is we've got to be teaching them and supporting their social emotional learning because we know that's how we get them to move up into the academic piece. Academics strongly rely 
on learners who have self-regulation skills. They strongly rely on learners who know how to, how to regulate when they're feeling stressed or anxious or afraid. So that's very crucial to that academic piece. It is important and beneficial to take time to specifically focus on mental well-being, but what about when the focus shifts back to academics? Let's say, for example, you transition into a math block. Do these SEL practices stop, or do you have methods for ensuring that they're part of the academic learning time as well? Well, that's a good question. I'm glad you asked that one. So one of the things that is a great mindful technique is helping learners to visualize. So one of the things that I teach learners while we're doing meditation is how to visualize themselves a certain way. So I tell them, you know, I want you to visualize yourself outside or visualize yourself happy or visualize yourself having success. So in terms of that math lesson you were referring to, I also bring in visualization. So I will have the learners close their eyes and I will tell them just like you do in meditation, I want you to close your eyes and visualize yourself doing math. I want you to visualize yourself manipulating the unit cubes or visualizing what the volume is. And so they can connect that visualization piece to what they're learning during meditation or during mindfulness. Rob, you are a district psychologist. Can you explain your role and the way you interact with learners? Yeah. So as you know, one of our district school psychologists, we have a really multifaceted role, right? We could be doing a lot of things just depending on the date and time. Those things include assessments, they include consultation um, with, with administration, LFs, with parents. It could look like getting into the classroom and working with cl both classroom and behavior management strategies, crisis intervention when that comes up, both mental health and behavioral health. Sometimes it'll look like parent education. We do PDs for parents, but we'll also do PDs for, for staff. It sometimes looks like collaborating with our Healthy Start Resource Center, um, working at the community outreach services and getting people connected. It looks like program evaluation at times, seeing what's effective and what's not. And then always with the mindset of prevention and, and early intervention, right? It's always trying to get to learners with needs as, as soon as possible. All of those can be in the role of a school psychologist. And how does Lindsay's focus on social-emotional learning shift your role from that of your counterparts in a traditional system? Yeah, it's a blessing to be in Lindsay. I think one of the biggest reasons for that is in a more traditional system. We as school psychologists can be often overwhelmed by kind of being what's called a psychometrician, <laughs> and that's doing a whole lot of special education assessments. And that could be due to many factors, but the biggest factor is basically that there's a poorly developed like response to intervention system in supporting learners, and that can lead to a lot of inappropriate special education referrals. So when school psychologists are inundated with inappropriate referrals for special education, we become basically much more limited in our ability to support the district and the other areas of our expertise. And SEL is being one of those. And because Lindsay's, you know, we've got a really well-established intervention protocols here. We as school psychologists are able to identify appropriate special education referrals with greater accuracy. And that gives our psychologist team more time to support the district in other venues, such as supporting our learning communities and building these SEL competencies within our learners and staff. When you say inappropriate referral, what do you mean by that? A lot of times people on, on a team won't be aware of all of the different intervention strategies or intervention options as far as resources that are available to their sites or to that grade level 
or, or maybe just to that learner's particular circumstance. And a, a lot of times what happens is, oh my gosh, a learner's struggling, maybe they need special education. And our job as, as a whole is just kind of think, well, let's take a step back here. One of the laws that we abide by is one that's called the least restrictive environment. And we are required by law to educate all of our learners in the least restrictive environment. And one of the most restrictive environments is special education because sometimes we pull them out of general education to work on specific skill sets and whatnot. And so they're missing out on that general education. And so what we want to make sure is that we have done everything as far as tier one interventions and tier two interventions to help uh, remediate whatever struggle that learner may be having before we jump to that tier three level of intervention, which we would generally classify as special education. So eliminating inappropriate referrals would look like really making sure we're doing due diligence to take advantage of all of the tier one and tier two resources at our disposal, which we have a ton of here in Lindsay, which is a beautiful thing. You know, before moving on to the most restrictive environment, which would be educating them outside of that general education setting, that would be that special education environment. Melissa, as a counselor, part of your job is helping learners to prepare for their future. So I want to ask you a similar question. How has Lindsay's focus on social emotional learning changed the way you do your job? Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me here at Lindsay. Within these past couple of years, social emotional learning has really been a priority. And so one of my roles is making sure that I'm working closely with the learning facilitators, um, working closely with the administration, and, and also working closely with learners and parents and other stakeholders to build a strong, positive relationship. I'm also supporting learning facilitators to make sure and help them create those tier one teaching moments that Mrs. Diaz talked about, as well as supporting our learners in the tier two needs that Rob mentioned. Some of our families may need extra support with physiological needs, the needs at home, so I can create those outside referrals for them and get them linked with resources that can help them within their home so that when they get here to school, we can really focus on their emotional needs so we can get them in the learning environments learning each day. To clarify for listeners who are unfamiliar, when you're referring to Tier 1 and Tier 2 needs, you're again referencing Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs, a pyramid that categorizes the basic needs of a human being from the basic physiological needs in Tier 1, like food and water, all the way up through the psychological and social-emotional needs in Tiers 3 through 5, like self-fulfillment and self-actualization. That's something I hear you guys referencing often. Another term I hear a lot here in Lindsay is whole child development. What does that mean? Whole child development is teaching the child how to care for themselves all around. You know, we're not just concerned with their academic well-being, but we're also concerned with their physical, their emotional well-being. So I, I think it's a priority to teach children how to care for themselves. For example, I'm a firm believer in the five pillars of health. I talk to my kids about the importance of nutrition, the importance of movement, daily movement. How many hours of sleep should they be getting? You know, the importance of not being exposed to, you know, blue light two hours before bedtime. So they're getting that adequate sleep. How important it is to have social connections, <laughs> not social media, but actual face-to-face -face connections with 
their family, with their friends, with their learning facilitators, people that they can turn to for support. And then the last pillar is how do we manage our stress? I think it's so crucial that learners understand that anxiety and stress are part of being human, but how do we manage that in a healthy way? So I think it's so important when you say whole child, it means that we're not just focused on that academic piece, but we're focused on providing to them the knowledge and the skills so they can take care of themselves as a, as a whole person. Those are all linked together too, Sarah, you put it beautifully. They're all linked together and they all affect each other. So if the learners are going home and they're not getting enough to eat or they're not getting enough rest, then when they come back to us the next day, then the learner that we're getting in our learning environments has a need. So when we're teaching them how to take care of themselves and how to look at the whole, we're looking at the whole picture. We're building those skills so that they can be successful in the learning environment within their peer relationships and within the relationships at home as well. What does it look like practically? How is a learning environment focused on SEL and whole child development different in practice from a traditional classroom? Within our system in at Lindsay Unified, when a learning environment is focused on SEL, I feel like one of the most important pieces is building a strong, supportive relationship with the learner and their learning facilitator and or other adults, positive adults on campus. If they have a positive relationship with another adult on campus or with their learning facilitator, then that feeling of support and belonging, I think it lends itself to learning more um, academically as well as other skills that we are teaching them to become better people. Yeah, I love that. And just to add on to it, I mean, when I go into a learning environment, um, I, I can tell like that level of connection that that LF has with their learners because they know what happened on the weekend, right? They know where they're going home to. They're, they know if they had breakfast or not. And I absolutely love the fact that Sarah brought up Maslow and, and that hierarchy of needs. We got to make sure and, and we're aware of those learners' basic needs before we can expect to be making progress and building the higher level skills. And, and when we know and we understand and have relationships with those learners, we're able to check those boxes and say, all right, we've satisfied the basic needs. We know that they're safe and secure. Now we can start in building those relationships and then get to those, those accomplishments, which you know, we strive for academics, but we know that we can't get there until we've, we've really addressed but the whole child development. That's that whole child, right? It's looking not just teaching to the textbook, but it's teaching to the individuals that are walking through those doors. The first thing I always do is I make sure that my learners are in a team. And I learned this from Kagan, but I think it's important that learners feel connected. So the first thing is they feel connected to the classroom. Well, what's the best way to get a learner connected? I do team builders. So this is another great Kagan strategy, but two team builders a week. And this is opportunities where the learners get to talk about fun, non-academic things. They get to have a great time with each other to build those connections. I do class builder once a week. So this is another great Kagan strategy where the class comes together as a class. It's non-academic and we have fun. Another thing I do is I always give my teams a job. 
they have a role. So every team is in charge of something. And this helps to make them not only feel connected to the classroom, but are an important member of this classroom family. So for example, I have one team who sits closest to the door. And when I have a visitor come into the classroom, this team knows that they stand up, they walk over to the person and they greet and welcome this person. I have another team, for example, that sits closest to my phone. They know when the phone rings, they're answering the phone. Good afternoon, this is Mrs. Diaz's class, how can I help you? Simple things like that helps learners to not only feel connected, but to own the learning environment. And when you get that buy-in from learners, that's what helps create that motivation. That motivation to want to be in school, the joy that comes with learning, that's where it starts. Another thing that I think is really, really crucial in developing those SEL skills is the creation of our shared classroom vision and the code of cooperation. This is where the learners get to give input and they come to learn that their voice matters and it's counted, it makes a difference. And I think them knowing that they're involved and their voice is important, again, it helps them to have those connections that Melissa was talking about, those strong relationships within the classroom with me and with each other. I'm hearing you talk about maximizing joy and having fun, lowering stress levels. These concepts are actually baked into the curriculum here in Lindsay, but a critic might say that taking time away from core academic standards in favor of these soft social-emotional skills is just another way of lowering the expectations for the disadvantaged learners that we serve. What would you say to that? Is that what we're doing here in Lindsay? I'd love to take a crack at that one uh, because it, it sounds like there's some SEL haters out there and uh, there's always going to be some haters in every, every group. They've got some strong opinions. And I think this is a beautiful scenario where you can actually have your cake and eat it too. <laughs> and building SEL competency and improving academic standards, they're not exclusive, right? <laughs> SEL actually fosters greater academic rigor and expectations and outcomes. It's, a, it's an amazing thing. So I think the data and all of the research actually goes against the doubters out there. SEL actually, it literally gives teachers more time to teach and it creates more engaging learners, right? They are more engaged. What that does, and I think what one of the great things about those code of cooperations that, that Sarah was touching on is that in a lot of environments, in traditional environments, those are set up before kids even get to school, right? What we do here that is so cool in Lindsay is that we create that classroom culture with the input of the learners. We do it with them. They are a part of that process and it's not done for them. And I think that's one of the most beautiful things about this, this uh, community and Lindsay is that it's taken with everybody's input and it's done collaboratively and we do it together. I would like to add on to that research also tells us that when you go out into the world and you want to work for a corporation or an organization, the academic piece is important. But if you look at what employers want, they want people who can work in a team. <laughs> they want people who can collaborate. They want people who are great at self-regulation. They want people who are creative. The academic piece, yes, it's important. But to the critics of SEL, I would say, you know, why don't you take a look at what skills, what qualities, what qualifiers are you looking for 
in the people you want to hire. If you look at those skills, there are a lot of soft skills. And they're so important, just as, if not more important, than those academic skills. The skills you're talking about, like teamwork and communication, those are actually a part of our lifelong learning standards, which are built into the curriculum here in Lindsay. But aren't those things sort of subjective? How do you put a grade on a concept as abstract as self-awareness or empathy? A lot of the work has been done for us in that area. Again, I am fortunate to work in Lindsay where lifelong learning standards have been identified at every content level. I know exactly what I'm looking for in terms of mastery on a specific skill. And I also have the resources in terms of my Empower playlists to support that instruction. In Lindsay, we're very fortunate because those standards have been identified and they also have provided to us the resources to teach those skills. And within those resources, it's very clear when a learner has shown mastery. The learning facilitators don't have to guess or say, you know what, this kid seems like a good kid, so I'm going to give them a good score. It's very clear and it's taken that subjectivity out of it, which is evening the playing field for our, our learners. Yeah, and I think to kind of tie that together with kind of on the measurement side, just like any other measurement process, you know, you work to create objective measures for things that are sometimes more subjective. So you're looking at these skills that you're seeking to build and create a rubric for that shows like this progression of skills, right? And those are things that we can make observable. These can take the form of self-report questionnaires. You can look at observation protocols that we're looking at, rating scales performance-based assessments, which we do a lot of here, just depending on the area of competence that you're looking to measure. And it's, it's really your creativity is the only limit there, right? We can look at how um, learners are demonstrating their competence in, in lots of different ways. And I would like to add on a more anecdotal note, you know, I have been teaching for a number of years and I have learners that will come back to me who are at the high school or who have moved on be beyond the high school and they will come back and they won't thank me for the science I taught them or the history I taught them, but they will say, Mrs. Diaz, I remember when we did this breathing and I still use it. Or I remember when we did this, you know, they're going to remember how we made them feel. They're going to connect their memory to, to that feeling. How did we make them feel in the classroom? So I always kind of anchor myself in, the feedback I get from my former learners, you know, what impact did I have on them? Because that kind of helps guide me going forward. Have you noticed an improvement in the academic performance of learners who are exposed to these SEL standards? I definitely think so. And, and it's not, I wouldn't say that's just a product in Lindsay either. I mean, this has been proven time and time again. And I actually found a study that's perfect to, to actually demonstrate this. And, and it's one of the most extensive studies done on the long-term impacts of SEL. Over 213 studies they took and analyzed them. And the learners who were part of these SEL programs, they showed 11 percentile point gains in academic achievement over those who didn't participate in programs. When you think about that, they're not only building SEL skills, that's just directly translating into academic gains. Right? Those who participated in the programs, these SEL programs, they additionally showed improved class behavior and increased ability to manage stress and depression. I mean, so important nowadays, right? And just overall better attitudes about themselves and others and, and school. Pretty win-win. 
Rob, you just mentioned depression and anxiety, and I'd like you to expand on that thought for a moment because the Wall Street Journal recently reported that as many as one in four students at some elite U.S. colleges are now classified as disabled largely because of mental health issues such as depression or anxiety. What's your take on that? What factors are contributing to this surge in mental illness? That's a big question. <laughs> That's a very big question. There's a lot to it. So I guess I'll say this about it. You know, when learners are struggling and school performance is low, they're more likely to find school and learning in general as a source of anxiety, which can really result in like diminished motivation and engagement, self-efficacy, and just connectedness with school in general. So when it comes to our learners receiving this SEL training in the classroom, it can make a huge difference in preparing them for a healthy and successful life, like well beyond school. And just kind of going back from that study that I had, uh, I had mentioned earlier, what it found was that those who participated in these SEL programs, like just like our lifelong learning standards we have here in Lindsay, you know, they showed not just improved class behavior and better attitudes about themselves, right? But they had an increased ability to manage stress and depression, right? So depression, anxiety, it can come from many forms, many areas of life, many situations, and it's going to be different for everybody. But what's a common factor is how we deal with that stress and anxiety. And these principles of social emotional learning are key ingredients to combating some of these very common issues that I think all of us deal with, at least on one level of the spectrum or another. I was actually talking about this with Sarah earlier today, and we were reflecting on just how recently we've started implementing some of the strategies that we're teaching our learners. Even the term self-care, I hear that term more often, maybe I'm paying more attention to it, but really that is a concept that is relatively new or being advertised maybe a little bit more or emphasized because of these high levels of depression and anxiety. Obviously, you add a global pandemic on top of that and all of the other issues that you see on the news. I mean, there, there's a lot of complexities going on out there. We as adults are being told and encouraged to reflect a little bit more about how we're taking care of ourselves. So I'm hopeful that as the years go by, we are giving and equipping our learners with the skills to self-regulate and the coping strategies that they need as they go off into college or to trade school or into the workforce so that it can really help them decrease the levels of anxiety and depression. As you said, we're currently working through a global pandemic that has without a doubt had an impact on the mental and emotional well-being of our learners as well as our staff. Has COVID changed the way you approach social emotional learning? For sure, it's made me more aware of how my learners are doing. Coming back this year in the classroom, I see it firsthand, the deficit that learners have in, in terms of how they interact with each other, in terms of how they're able to regulate their emotions. And so I think it's so important now more than ever. And it has influenced me to take the SEL pathway TSL course because I really want to learn more about how I can support my learners in this area. It's so important. These learners have been off campus for over a year and we're bringing them back and we're expecting them to know how to interact with each other and work together. Well, 
we're not quite there yet. So we've got to teach them how to get there. Take small steps to make a giant leap. I just think it's so important. I see the need for it every day when I come to my class, but I also see the benefits of teaching it. My learners have made such growth. Just the last three weeks that we've been back in school, they've made huge growth in terms of their SEL skills. I see it. I see it firsthand. I also think that this pandemic has really put a spotlight on the importance of SEL, as well as the importance of teaching and supporting our learners through the trauma that they've been through. Their families have been through some traumatic situations. On top of that, just what's going on in the world, that's tough stuff to absorb. So I think that it really has emphasized the need for SEL and for us to provide that to our learners because we don't know how much they're getting at home or what the family has been through. Yeah, I love those and I couldn't agree more. The emphasis on SEL, I think, is what has changed the most, right? And it's like, wow, we really need this, right? These social emotional competencies, they help us deal with real life scenarios, right? Not just get through school. They help us actually live life uh, more fully they bolster our resilience and they help us focus on those things that are within our control and i think those skills are unbelievably helpful during times like we're in right now we are in unique times right now that's for sure and we will continue to send our graduates out into that uncertain world so what is your vision for Lindsay's graduates as it pertains to sel in what ways will they be better equipped to enter their community help us solve some of these problems and make a positive impact on the world for the future. My goal for my learners is I want to create or help create compassionate people. That's my goal. I want my learners to have compassion for themselves, for the people around them, for the world. And you know, if I accomplish that, then I have met my goal. And I think SEL is the pathway to creating compassionate individuals. I, I mean, I grew up in Lindsay, so I'm a product of Lindsay schools from years back, but I am a part of the community. And so when I think about our, our Lindsay graduates going on, compassion is such an important part. I also want them to be confident. I, I want them to have the skills to be successful no matter where they go with the hopes that they will with, stay within the community and raise healthy families. And, you know, I can be a counselor to one of their children one day. I have a lot of hope for our graduates and my vision for them is that they will be happy, successful, employable young adults. I love all those. And to add to that, I think about who my favorite coworkers are. Those are the ones that get along with the best, who we respect the most, generally perform their duties in exceptional levels. I'd argue that those individuals are empathic, they're critical thinking, they're proactive, self-aware, self-motivating, all of the skills that fall under this social emotional learning umbrella, right? That's who I envision. Um, and that's what I envision for, for our graduates and our, and our Lindsay learners. You know, I want them to be coming along and working alongside of us to, to better our community. 
Let's picture that future world for a moment. Ten years from now, when our community is populated with these graduates who've been trained in positive social-emotional habits and have adopted them as part of their life philosophy, what does the world look like? I think it looks like a happier, healthier place. It looks like a community that gives back, pays it forward, takes what they've learned in school and transfers that to their children, to their neighbors, to their extended family to organizations that they're a part of. That's kind of what I see. In 10 years, I see Lindsay continuing to produce, you know, these beautiful families that make up our community. I'm, I'm excited that we are teaching them these SEL skills because I'm excited that our learners are going to take them back to their families, that they're going to teach their parents, that they're going to build strong relationships and raise children with these types of skills that are going to benefit everyone around them. I'm really excited for our, our, the community of Lindsay. I grew up here, I live here currently, and I know that our families are amazing. And I think that we continue to, all of the learning facilitators and stakeholders, we pour our hearts and souls into teaching our learners. And I just think that the sky's the limit. I think they're innovative and I, I can just see our community continuing to grow. Yeah, and my hope and the vision for the Lindsay community, again, just adding on to all those amazing things that were just said, is that we would continue to develop that safe, confident, prosperous, happy place to live, to raise our, our children and their children, intergenerational, you know, success, and one that's working to reduce poverty and crime rates, obviously, working to provide high quality of life for everyone that lives here. And I think the biggest thing is spanning across generations. We're not looking to just do it for tomorrow, but we're looking intergenerational. We're looking 10, 20 years down the line. And I think these skills provide a bridge to that successful future. That sounds like the future we'd all like to live in. That is our vision for Lindsay that all of you have been working towards every day. Melissa Villa, Rob Smee, Sarah Diaz, thank you all so much for joining me today. And more importantly, thanks for what you do every day for the learners here in Lindsay. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thanks, guys. And as always, thank you for listening. Don't forget to follow us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Spotify so you won't miss the next exciting conversation right here on Lindsay Live.